0: the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God my friends it's just that simple
1: it's in the divine service that he's there for you that he delivers the forgiveness that's where he promises forgiveness will be Uh, and so
0: that's why it's so important uh, to be in church we long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ
1: uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Oline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, in Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we come together, we take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday, and we give a few thoughts and observations to help prepare for personal devotions, family devotions, but most importantly, to prepare for your time in the divine service on Sunday, hearing God's word and receiving God's gifts. Pastor, welcome back to Proclaiming the One.
1: Thank you. Yeah, good to be here.
0: That's always good each week. And uh, Vicar, are you getting your uh, feet Uh, Aside from all the hiking you've been doing, are you getting your uh, feet on the ground and settled here in Nebraska?
2: Yeah, still trying to hit the ground running, but yes.
0: Okay, I thought it was interesting while I'm doing a little uh, tinkering around on the... technical side of things here, you uh, posted something to Twitter the other day with regard to the history of the unique name of the town that you come from, Horseheads, New York. Uh, Why don't you share that with our listeners while I'm uh, doing a little searching for something?
2: Sure, it actually dates back to uh, General Sullivan in the Revolutionary War he had uh, taken over a town and to keep the indians out to scare them away the military horses he took 300 skulls of horse heads and actually lined them up around the town to to scare them away because that would have scared them and so it's the one and only and first town to be named after the military horse
0: yeah that is uh, i thought that was um eh, pretty pretty interesting uh story and uh i think we are ready to actually get into the text now so thanks for sharing that vicar and uh if you want any bit any more on that uh Military History of Dead Horses, uh, Vicar is your guy to talk about. It's kind of
1: like the movie The Godfather.
0: <laughs> yeah, how do you think of dead horses or horse heads without thinking of the movie Godfather? If our hearers don't know what uh, we're talking about, I guess check it out on Netflix. Um, Vicar, the introit for the 13th Sunday after Trinity, selected verses from Psalm 74. Psalm 74. Would you read that, please? Have regard for the covenant, O Lord. Let not the downtrodden
2: turn back in shame. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Do not forget the clamor of your foes. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt do not forget the life of your poor forever let the poor and needy praise your name
0: all right thank you selected verses from Psalm 74 that's the introit for the 13th Sunday after Trinity pastor as I uh, as I heard the vicar read that uh, two were uh, a word jumped out at me from the table or uh, from the paper on the table and And that word is remember, remember, remember your congregation, remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt, do not forget the life of your poor forever, have regard for the covenant. Uh, Pastor, uh, if God is God and God is holy and perfect, can God forget what? Uh, what's this? Uh, what's going on here?
1: Well, um, we wouldn't say God forgets His promises or His mercy or His compassion, and I don't think that's what um, the the Psalm is saying here. I think the Psalm is saying the opposite. Because you are God. You've promised to do these things, and we're reminding you of what you have promised. So, the the content of what the remembrance is about is important here as well. The congregation that he purchased, uh, Mount Zion where he has dwelt, uh, his covenant, uh, those things that he we're asking God to remember are important because those things are the places where salvation for us is earned. Um, you know the mountain of the lord is place where sacrifices were done for the forgiveness of sins and we would say by extension then Golgotha the place where Christ uh, died for our forgiveness the covenant in which he promises to forgive our sins all the way back with Adam and Eve renewed then again with Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the way down until the time of Christ Uh, we also have the uh, do not forget the life Of your poor forever. In other words, what is the promise about? It is that He will grant us eternal life through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that that is given to us um, completely by mercy and grace. Uh, God gives us freely eternal life uh, because of His Son. And so. It's not that God's forgetting these things, but uh, really by asking him to remember them, we're reminding ourselves that this is the God that we're talking about and who he is. So these are statements of identity. Our God is the God who remembers his holy covenant. Our God is the God who remembers the sacrifices for our sins. Our God is the God who remembers his congregation. Our God is the God who uh, does not forget our life and that he's promised it shall be forever.
0: We have several places in the Psalms where, something similar is going on here, where we are um, almost, at first glance, accusing God of purposely forgetting us, or purposely turning, turning his back on our promises. Is this a cry of faith, or is this a cry of unbelief, when we are begging God to remember who he is and what he does? I would say it's a cry of
1: faith because of the fact that we're actually talking to God and telling him to remember the things that he's promised. Um, if we had no faith, we probably wouldn't turn to God at all, or we would be angry and say, who do you think you are, and and that sort of thing. And so it is a cry of faith. It in. It's even a confession. This is what I think I was trying to say before. It's a confession of who God is. And the only way we can make a good confession on who God is is if we have faith and understand the reality of his uh, holiness and his nature. And so it is a cry of faith in that regard.
0: I, uh, I remember my days at the seminary, and Dr. Robbie, the uh, brilliant Old Testament scholar, now retired, uh, would tell us that these psalms are, are often laid before us as an example because god loves when we take his promises and hold them under his nose because it shows that not only we know them but we believe them and we are counting on god And, and so in that respect i think it's right i think it is a cry of faith and if uh if in your unbelief you were disappointed with how things are going. You wouldn't call to God to remember your prayers. You'd turn your back on God. You'd walk away from God. Um, you, you'd you stop listening to his voice rather than calling to him in prayer. Which is what
1: we see with so many people who claim to be atheists today. You know, they say, uh, I don't believe in God. And if you do some asking and some questioning about, you know, how come, well, my grandpa, grandpa got sick and died and I prayed to God and he didn't answer. And so, uh, yeah, there must not be one. Well, what it really is then is, Anger at God because he didn't do exactly what you wanted him to do. It's not really a cry of unfaith or um, atheism at all. It's just a frustration at the God that does exist.
0: And as Pastor Kuhlman would say, it's one more example of self justification. We're going to justify what we're doing by blaming it on God. Uh, Vicar, it says here, uh, right smack dab in the middle of our introit, it says, uh, Remember your congregation which you have purchased from old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. When the Psalms talk about the redemption or the buying back, the purchasing of the people of God, is there a specific redemption event of the Old Testament that we're supposed to be thinking of?
2: Well, it's looking at the Old Testament and looking forward. The, the language of purchasing and redeemed is a buying off of a debt. And that debt that we owe is, is from sin. So whether it be the uh, Day of Atonement in Yom Kippur of the Old Testament or the other ways that God gives the Hebrew people a way of atoning for sin or looking forward to Christ, Christ who paid once for all with his atoning blood, on the on the cross
0: well that's definitely where we need to go with it because uh, we have those these words here from psalm 74 that are echoed in first peter uh and um, beautifully crafted for us in luther's small catechism in the second article uh uh, luther's explanation of the second article the creed how he has purchased and won me from sin death and the power of the devil not with gold or silver with his holy precious blood, and his innocent suffering and death. That is the covenant fulfilled. I will be your God, you will be my people. That is the steadfast love that uh, we talk about so often as we're uh, looking at the Old Testament scriptures. There's one line here that sometimes causes um, a little bit of heartburn for Christians, Pastor. It says, why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Um, God being angry, the smoke of God's anger. uh, What are we to make of this? Well, uh, I think we'd say God has just cause to be angry
1: with us because we sin. We are guilty. We do go against his word all the time, and that doesn't matter if we are... uh, Christians or not, we are sinful people. And, of course, uh, Christians are forgiven of that sin. They receive that forgiveness in baptism and the Word of God, and they seek to live better, but they still continually have to confess their sins because they keep on committing these sins. And, um, you know, we can't even claim to be without sin. And yet the the beauty of it is is that while God is angry because of sin, across the board for every single person alive in our world today— Jesus takes that sin upon himself. He dies on the cross for it. He kills it forever. And now the only sin that's left that uh, actually condemns us uh, is the sin of unfaith. And, of course, uh, other sins, loving those sins more than we love Christ, um, living a life outside of God's word hurts that faith so that we... uh, uh, we struggle through life and that's that's the all the things we got to balance together to get the right picture of what's going on
0: that is uh, that is an amazing word picture and you you said it beautifully there that god is justified with his anger we don't like to talk about the anger of god but he's justified he's he's righteous in his anger and yet in his great love his steadfast love his chesed he pours out that righteous anger not on us we all like sheep have gone astray But he lays on him, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He lays on him the iniquity of us all, anger appeased by a righteous and holy God for us. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the 13th Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are looking at the readings for the 13th Sunday after Trinity. The Gospel reading, a pretty familiar reading uh, for people who not only are Christians, but even for non-Christians alike. Luke 10, 23 to 37. Uh, Let's see if these words are familiar to you as uh, Vicar reads them for you. Vicar, take it away. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately,
2: Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit an eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go, and do likewise.
0: You go and do likewise. The uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. I think most people are familiar with that uh, terminology, if not the actual biblical account. Many states have Good Samaritan laws, where uh, if you help someone in need, you can't be sued or held liable. And uh, so this, this terminology of Good Samaritan is fairly common in our world, and yet if there's one parable that is oftentimes really, really abused and misused, it's this parable of the Good Samaritan. What I'd like to do here, Pastor, is I'd like to approach this text in three chunks, because The parable of the Good Samaritan comes at the end. It's the longest part of our text. We're looking at Luke 10, 23 to 37. But the first two parts of this text, I think, really set the stage for helping us to see what this parable is all about, why Jesus told it, and what he wants us to glean from it. It says uh, at the very beginning, Luke 10, 23 and 24, turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately... Blessed are the eyes that see what you see for. I tell you that many prophets and Kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what's Jesus talking about here? A beautiful sunrise, uh, the, uh, the, the sound of birds floating over the air. What did they see and hear that was so special?
1: Well, uh, We have to put it into context, the wider book of Luke, uh, where Jesus uh, has sent out the 72 and they preach and teach and they say, uh, you know, even the demons are subject to us in your name and Jesus says I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven Uh, behold I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven in other words they're seeing the fulfillment of all of God's promises from uh, the fall into sin throughout the Old Testament and even up until the days beforehand with the preaching of John the Baptist they're seeing the fulfillment of God's work of salvation promised, um, and now being brought to its fulfillment in the personal work of Jesus. And David desired to see that Isaiah desired to see that they had little glimpses and foretastes and were able to write God's word looking ahead to this day, but they didn't actually see Jesus. They didn't actually hear Jesus preach. And Jesus is saying, look how blessed you are that you do get to see what these great, uh, people of the old testament did not get to see
0: so is jesus um if if i wanted to summarize the words of jesus is jesus simply saying i'm the messiah and uh you know open your ears and eyes because this is kind of big stuff here and everything in the old testament pointed forward to the coming of the messiah and i'm it is that is that fair to say it that way yeah
1: he's definitely saying that uh, the, the little section immediately before this he says little children understand who I am uh, and uh, that I'm the Messiah and he's teaching the disciples that that's the reality of who he is as well and so they get to see God's work of salvation in the Savior Jesus uh, firsthand
0: and in this uh, wider context that you were talking about at the end of Luke chapter 9 Jesus sets his face resolutely toward Jerusalem he knows what awaits him there Um, unlike you know some novel popular fictional accounts with regard to Jesus that he didn't know who he was or he didn't know what his mission was or any of that kind of nonsense Jesus knows what awaits him in Jerusalem and it's suffering and a cross crucifixion a gory bloody death Um, but he goes anyway And now through this second half of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is expounding what it means that he is the Christ and he's going to Jerusalem, what it's going to take for the salvation of the world. The uh, second part, beginning in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. I want to think about that phrase. A lawyer stood up. To put him to the test. I guess that's what lawyers do, right? Uh, they, they test words. They test thoughts. They test ideas. Do you think the lawyer understood clearly that Jesus was saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the promised one? And now the lawyer, being a lawyer, is going to test Jesus with regard to the statement that he has just made. Uh, and the lawyer wants to check the identity of Jesus. Do you think that's what's going on here? I think that's probably a
1: part of it, although as we read further on, we see what's really behind this for this particular lawyer. We have to understand this isn't a lawyer in the same sense we think of the word lawyer, uh, somebody who works in the field of uh, uh, law as far as government and nation and state and city and things like that or even in prosecuting or suing other people this is a lawyer in terms of what does God's law say and so he's a lawyer in expert field of uh, how do I save myself right and this is the kind of lawyers that uh, uh, the religious body of the time had and so he studies the 600 plus laws that supposedly exist uh from the 10 commandments onwards in the book of exodus uh, leviticus numbers and deuteronomy and so how many steps can you take on the sabbath day uh if you touch a dead body how many days are you unclean what's the procedure that you follow uh to make yourself holy again and so he's an expert in what must i do to be saved and so he's testing jesus to ask him the same sort of thing you know okay so so you claim to be a teacher. Let's see where your theological position is. How does this work? And I think that's what this man is doing.
0: Okay, so if you're going to be saved by the law, you better know what law it is that will save you. And so rather than questioning so much the identity of Jesus are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? It's what kind of a teacher are you? Are you an Orthodox teacher or are you? out in left field with regard to your understanding of the law. and
1: I'm not sure that for him we have to separate those two things because as a lawyer he probably sees um, the Christ that's coming as a new and greater Moses who gave him the first law. And so the new Messiah would probably be somebody who increased the law or showed uh, a better way to keep the law or something like that in his mind. And so he's misunderstanding what the office of Jesus Christ is.
0: Excellent point. Excellent point. People were looking for a new and greater Moses, a prophet, Deuteronomy 18. And what did Moses bring? Moses brought 10 commandments. Well, maybe this is going to be like Mel Brooks. Maybe there'll be 15. Um, So, Vicar, I want to ask you a question here. Uh, part part one of your uh, theological interview. In verse 25, the uh, expert in the law says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What's the problem with that question? It's backwards thinking. What
2: shall I do? It should be rather, uh, what shall you do to give me eternal life? Um, it's not what the the lawyer or perhaps the scribe even does does anything on his own behalf to inherit eternal life um, so this could also, uh, also be part of the test
0: <laughs> okay um, if uh, let me ask you uh, in the time we have left here in this segment um, if if you stand to inherit money property books whatever what has to happen for for this uh, inheritance to take place
2: the person has to sign something saying it is given to you, and then somebody tells you it is given to you.
0: Okay, with that piece of paper that says it's being given to me, um, uh, I still haven't taken possession of the stuff. What has to happen?
2: They need your bank account number?
0: No, 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 no. You're, miss- you're missing the biggie. In order for somebody to get an inheritance, what has to, the ha- what has to happen to the person who's giving the inheritance? Oh, they have to die. They have to die. They have to die. And so uh, the question is backwards for a number of reasons. And I think the primary one is uh, I don't have to do anything to be in somebody's will. I have to be. I don't do. I have to be. I have to be in the family. I have to be adopted. And so doing and inheriting are two opposite things and they cannot exist at the same time and so Jesus by telling this parable is going to teach the lawyer and all of us why doing cannot get us to heaven only inheriting we need to take a short break this is proclaiming the one we're looking at the readings for the 13th Sunday after Trinity don't change that dial we'll be right back
2: Sundays
1: at noon on KNNA.
3: You are listening to KNNA LP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: welcome back to proclaiming the one pastor poppy pastor moline vicar golden we serve the saints at good shepherd lutheran church in lincoln nebraska if you're in or around lincoln come join us we gather each sunday for church at 8 and 10:30 with sunday school for all ages in between we're located in south lincoln 3825 wildbrier lane and uh, we're all of our services are live on K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 here in Lincoln. We are one of the few churches in the area that has Wednesday evening worship year-round. That's at 6.30. And you can always check us out on the website, any of our archive programs as well. We have uh, many, many community programs in addition to our theological programming. And you can check out the theological programming on uh, the various podcasts that are available out there too our website www.thecross957.org we are deep into luke chapter 10 verses 23 to 27 we're looking at the readings for the 13th sunday after trinity we looked at the first part of our text where jesus is basically saying i'm the savior I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been looking for. The lawyer tests him by asking a foolish question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? But when you think about it, this is not so much a foolish question as it is the question of the world. The question of the world. The world wants to do something to merit salvation, to make salvation more sure. We want to be in control. We want to do. And so Jesus, in typical Jesus form, Jesus uh, turns the question right around. Jesus said to him, What is written in the law, lawyer? How do you read it? Why does Jesus return a question for a question?
1: Well, it's the wrong question. As you said, it's a question of the law not of the gospel, which I guess we would expect from a a lawyer, right? A question of the law. Um, He drives him right back to God and his word. What's God's word say? Um, Because God's word is the important part in this whole uh, equation. And so it's not a matter of what uh, a particular person's opinion is or anything like that. And maybe in our theological discussions, we need to be more like Jesus and say, Rather than say, well, I feel or I think, we need to just say, what's God's word say? And drive people right back to the word, because there we find truth uh, delivered from God's own hand for us to understand.
0: Okay, so Jesus turns him back to the word, which is always a good thing. It's a good thing for Jesus. It's a good thing for us. And uh, the man answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. He answers with a direct quote from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus uses these words in his temptation with Satan um, with regard to summarizing the law. And uh, it seems to me that he gave a pretty good answer. If you're going to be saved by by following the law, um, that seems to be the correct answer. Isn't that right, Pastor. It is the correct answer, and the law of God is good and wise.
1: And where the man uh, needs to, what the man needs to do, and Jesus is going to help him do that, uh, he needs to take the next step and then say, Okay, have I done this? Have I loved uh, all these people? Have I loved God? Have I loved my neighbor? Uh, have I done this with all my strength and all my heart and all my mind? Have, we, have I accomplished what's necessary for salvation? And that's where the man is not yet asking that particular question. Um, but he does know his law and his Bible, and the law is true and good, and we cannot deny what it says. It's true. If you wish to
0: save yourself, that's how you do it. So Pastor is Jesus toying with the man here or is he loving him by teaching him the foolishness of his question?
1: Well that's um, he's, he's loving him and he's being a good teacher because a good teacher will let someone ask a question which probably leads down the wrong path to show them that's the wrong path as long as they don't abandon them on that wrong path and that's what Jesus is doing. okay so you want to save yourself? Here's how you got to do it. Can you do that? And, of course, we know the answer is, no, I cannot save myself. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. God has to do the saving here because God's law is true, and I have violated that law.
0: Vicar Jesus uh, concurs with Poppy and Moline that the uh, lawyer has answered uh, pretty well and answered correctly here. Jesus said to the man, the lawyer, you have answered correctly do this and you will live i'm going to ask you the same question i asked pastor moline is jesus loving him by telling this telling him do this and you will live is he toying with him or is he lying to him because i thought you couldn't be saved by doing the law
2: he's speaking absolute truth the word is truth he's saying do this and you will live Uh, What this man, this lawyer doesn't know yet is that he can't do this. And that's what he is about to be shown.
0: Yeah, he's about to be shown in spades here because um, Jesus speaks the truth to him. Do this. Follow the law. Every jot and tittle. Do this and you will live. But the man is not satisfied with Jesus' answer. What always happens when we want to try to justify ourselves by observing the law, we want to lower the bar, we want to lower the standard, we want to define the parameters in such a way that we at least get the illusion that we're keeping it. And so... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. um, That's pretty straightforward. You know, you can't really say, well, who is God or what is my mind or anything like that. But this whole business about loving your neighbor as yourself, what Jesus says summarizes the uh, second half of the Ten Commandments. Here we have a little wiggle room. Here we have room for a little bit of a loophole. If I can define neighbor down low enough, I can get over the hurdle. Is it somebody who lives in my block? Is it somebody who lives in my cul-de-sac? Is it somebody who lives in my community? Is it somebody who lives in my state? Doesn't really matter, but I need to have that definition so I can figure that out. Pastor, desiring to justify himself. How does that teach us not only the root problem with the lawyer, but the root problem with all people everywhere?
1: Well, to it really goes all the way back to Genesis 3, right? Uh, desiring to be like God, they threw out God's word and came up with their own word and ate the fruit they shouldn't have eaten. And this is the same thing that all self-justification has to do, uh, ignore God's word that speaks the truth, and try to quantify or come up with your own thing. And that's what this man has to do to self-justify. He has to quantify who is my neighbor. Or you have to quantify how much money do I need to give to the church. Or you need to quantify how many times do I have to go to church. Uh, In North Dakota, where I served before, that was always the question people asked at the Catholic Church when there was a funeral uh, or a wedding. If it was after a certain time in the day, it counted If it was before a certain time of the day, it did not count. And so they would always ask the priest, you know, does this count or not? Do I have to come back on Sunday or not? Because it was all about quantifying how much you need to do to be saved. And that's what this man is doing. How many people are my neighbor that I have to love? Who are these people uh, so that I can make sure that I do it? Or maybe he's thinking through and looking back at his life and saying, well, I, I helped brother Bill who lives next door, but I didn't help Sam who lives the next town over. So which one does God want me to do so that I can make sure I'm saved myself? God will have none of this saving yourself quantification business. God will save you on his terms, not yours.
0: Self-justification was just as big a problem in Jesus' day, in Adam and Eve's day as it is in our day. And I think many, many of our issues, uh, whether they be between uh, husband and wife or parent and children, uh, fellow members in a congregation, uh, pastor parishioner relationships, problems with your next-door neighbor, uh, the uh, people in your community that... uh, you know, maybe, maybe have different likes or dislikes than you do, we always are trying to justify our actions. Always, always, always. Sometimes it comes across as just an excuse. Sometimes it comes across as anger. Um, so many of the uh, social media tirades that go on are simply self-justification. And Jesus um, tells a story, as he often does, a parable. Jesus tells the story to answer the question, and who is my neighbor? Now, we don't have a lot of time left in this segment. So before we get into the actual text of the Good Samaritan parable, there are several characters in this parable. We have a man who is beaten and robbed. We have a priest, a Levite. We have a Samaritan, and we have the innkeeper or the shopkeeper or whatever you want to call it there. So we've got basically five characters in this story, and this all is going to unfold. Too many times when people hear the Good Samaritan, They hear, do this, be like the good Samaritan. Do this, you go and do likewise. That if we go and love our neighbor, we will be saved. Pastor, is that what Jesus wants us to get out of this parable?
1: No. um, He's not telling you that if you're a good Samaritan to enough people that you will save yourself once again that's self-justification that's the way just you the can, opposite of what right, he's teaching you can tell it's self-justification because once again it's quantifying things what must i do and god saves by his own actions um we in response we do serve our neighbor and help those in need but that is not the way we earn salvation That's what we do because God has earned salvation for us and distributed it freely to us through his word and sacrament.
0: Okay, well said. Keep that in mind. When we come back, we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to be looking at specifically Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. Don't change that dial. This is Proclaiming the One, Trinity 13. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. Uh, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We gather each week to look at the upcoming readings. Today we're looking at the readings for the 13th Sunday after Trinity. In first segment, we looked at the introit. Selected verses from Psalm 74 in verses 2 and 3. And now in this last segment, we're looking at the Gospel reading, Luke 10, 23 to 37. And uh, we're going to look specifically at the parable of the Good Samaritan now in this section. Before we do, you know, Pastor, I've had the uh, bumper music today, this uh, hymn of sanctification, Renew Me. O Eternal Light, and I picked this on purpose because I think this helps us with regard to the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, self-justification, the last line that we talked about right before break, you go and do likewise, renew me, O Eternal Light, and let my heart and soul be bright, illumined with the light of grace that issues from your holy face. Create in me a new heart, Lord, that gladly I obey your word. Let what you will be my desire, and with new life my soul inspire. Keep those words uh, from, uh, and that's uh, LSB 704. Renew me, O eternal light. Keep those words in mind as we continue and conclude our look here at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Vicar, uh, refresh our memory and uh, just pick up at verse 30 with regard to the actual parable itself.
2: Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. and brought him to an inn and took care of him. In the next day he took out 2 denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, "Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back." Which of these 3 do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, "The one who showed him mercy." And Jesus said to him, "You go and do likewise."
0: We've already looked at the uh, context here. We've looked at uh, kind of the main characters with regard to this parable of the Good Samaritan. We've uh, concluded rightly that Jesus is not telling this parable so that we can justify ourselves by being good Samaritans. What's the point of the fact Pastor, that uh, two of the main characters here are a priest and a Levite, and uh, their actions are to not show mercy to the man.
1: Well, that's the whole point of priests and Levites. Levite maybe being the broader picture, those who are descended from the, the person of Levi, uh, the uh, the son of Jacob. And then the priests being a subgroup of that, those descended from Aaron, who are the ones specifically given the task of serving in the temple, which is the place where forgiveness of sins is supposed to be earned and delivered uh, through animal sacrifice and burning the sacrifices, through wave offerings and all the uh, other business that you read about in uh Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all the other uh, Pentateuch books. And so these are the guys who are supposed to be uh, experts at doing this, giving the mercy of God to people in the appropriate fashion and manner. And they're the ones that then are avoiding this guy. They're not showing mercy or compassion. And in a way, it's the same thing they do to Judas as well. Judas uh, when he's arrest, Jesus is arrested and sees what happened, uh, he is uh, remorseful. He feels terrible that Jesus has got arrested and is going to be killed. And he goes to the temple to try and return the money to give it back to them and, and the sacrifice. And they say, uh, go and do this yourself, take care of it yourself. They, they drive him back inward into his own self, uh, and that's the same thing these two uh, guys in this particular parable are sort of doing. They're not having mercy or compassion. They're more concerned with themselves than others.
0: In a sense, they're saying, um, you know, ask Jesus into your heart, save yourself. Mm-hmm. Um Make a decision to get out of the ditch and not die Etern, You know, uh, how foolish is that when you put it in those kind of perspectives? Uh, Pastor, the the next character that comes by is the Samaritan. And why does Jesus use the Samaritan to be the hero of the story?
1: Well, Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. They were uh, I'm going to say this term, half-breed Jews. Uh, they are descendants of people who had married outside the uh, the Jewish ethnicity to people of other foreign nations. Um, they had their own temple up uh, in Samaria. The remains of it have been excavated. You can go and see them. They're kind of neat to look at in pictures and things like that. They had their own temple, their own whole worship thing. They still worshipped technically the same God, but they did it their own way. They weren't... Uh, pure descendants from the promise through Abraham. Uh, they were halfway descended from that. And so this is a guy that was despised by the Jews and considered unclean and unworthy. And yet he's the one who does have compassion and mercy because he actually cares about this guy laying in the ditch.
0: And so when Jesus uh, when Jesus is answering the man's question, and who is my neighbor, Uh Jesus could not have picked a more despicable person, at least in the lawyer's mind, for him to consider being a neighbor to. Is that, is that a fair so, uh, assessment?
1: That is. Uh, the uh, Samaritan, if you will, is despised by men and uh, uh, afflicted, and, and nobody likes him at all. And so it's, it's kind of a neat thing in that re- regard.
0: So it'd be the equivalent of the... Uh, Jew who is forced to eat pig slop in the parable of the prodigal son. We got we got similar um, uh, bottom of the barrel, scraping the bottom of the barrel kind of situations here. And then the actions of the good Samaritan. Um, you know, Pastor Morandi would always say that in every parable there is an aha moment or a that's crazy moment. Well, the fact that the Samaritan actually does something kind and nice because he's the bad guy. He's the despicable one. The Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, put him on his own oil, paid two denarii, Says, I'll come back and repay you more. Put this in perspective of what? what does this have to do with jesus what does this have to do with the gospel who who is the good samaritan is the good samaritan jesus is the good is jesus the guy in the ditch who gets beaten up for us uh help help me figure this out pastor
1: yeah um i would say that the good samaritan is a type of christ definitely and uh that he out of love and compassion for this random person that he doesn't really know that well Shows compassion, has the guy healed. He puts him up for several days, uh, gives out two denarii and promises to pay whatever more is necessary for this man to recover. And so that's the same thing Jesus does for us. Only not with denariuses or uh, gold or silver, but with his only precious blood, innocent suffering and death. Jesus drags us out of the ditch of death and uh, brings us uh, back into the path of life and restores us and calls us uh, brothers uh, when he rises from the dead and uh, uh, promises to give us the kingdom where he'll be our ruler. He's excited to see us um, and glad to see us in faith because he loves us. And so in that way, the Samaritan does typologically foreshadow what Christ is actually going to do for us. And I think then the words, too, that end that, um, when I come back, I will repay um, whatever more you need, Uh, that's a promise of Christ also. He's coming back and he will repay uh, all people for their behavior in faith. Uh, If they act with faith, he'll be uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Come receive the kingdom prepared from you from all the beginning of the world. Uh, If they act unfaithfully, Then he'll say, depart from me, you workers of evil, and go inherit the uh, uh, suffering and weeping and gnashing of teeth that was prepared for you. And so that's what's coming, and that shows us how Christ is really uh, typified in this particular Good Samaritan.
0: Go and do likewise at the end. Uh, Go and be Jesus? Go. Uh, what would Jesus do? Or do we get out the T-shirts and the and the armbands and wrist bracelets? Here is that what Je- is that the bottom line of this parable is? Uh, you got to be more like Jesus. Or what are, what are people missing when they turn the parable of the Good Samaritan into a works righteous activity?
1: Well, it's a question of getting everything in the correct order. Uh, it is not bad to be like Jesus and showing compassion and mercy and care to the people around you Uh, but that has to come as a result of faith not as some way to earn God's favor or anything like that so we are saved by God's grace uh, through faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again on the cross that's the only way we're going to get into heaven is because of what Christ has done That's been bestowed upon us in the waters of baptism, preached into our ears and uh, fed into our mouths in the Lord's Supper, and faith exists within us. And because we have that faith, then we do seek to show the same compassion to the people who are around us that Christ shows to us. And we, we pray this prayer at the end of the divine service, you know. Uh, We thank you for this salutary gift, and we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us in the same in faith toward you, God, and in fervent love towards one another. In other words, uh, love towards God and service towards neighbor. That's the life of faith. It doesn't earn forgiveness. It's a result of having received forgiveness, which is why it's such a great example there where we put that prayer in the divine service.
0: Well said, and uh, the proper perspective with regard to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because we have been saved, nurtured, rescued, now we in turn want to love God and serve our neighbor. Vicar, would you bring things to a close with uh, the collect of the day for the 13th Sunday after Trinity?
2: Almighty and everlasting God, give us an increase of faith hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you have commanded through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
0: Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. So, Sunday morning when you get up, Read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, but most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next week.